Good evening, IT entrepreneurs, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Joe Panateri, content czar for AfterNines.com. Thanks for joining us each Tuesday night at 9.01 p.m. Eastern and sometimes in between. Now, on to podcast episode 25, my conversation with AmpDesk CEO Alex Rowland. We discuss the rapidly evolving digital media landscape and Alex's 20-plus year experience building companies and his changing views on when and how to raise money. Alex, thanks for joining the program. Joe, great to be here. Thank you so much. Hey, let's start with your current startup, AmpDesk. What inspired this launch and what's your focus? Uh, sure. So AmpDesk is basically in the uh, media trading business. We buy and sell digital media across multiple different channels. So this includes uh, display and in-stream video advertising on both mobile and web. And what that basically means is when you see an ad in front of a video or you see a rectangular ad on your iPhone or iPad or on your computer, we are involved in the business of either buying or selling that inventory on behalf of advertisers and publishers. Okay. And now is this an automated system or a labor-intensive system? I, I, I think I can guess the answer, but you tell me. It's pretty automated. Basically what happens is the entire market is shifting from one in which media was largely traded the same way the TV has been traded, uh, magazines, newspapers, and the like. And that is that people would sit down, negotiate a price for that inventory, and they would book a sale of the inventory, typically months in advance of that inventory actually getting delivered. And the revolution that's going on right now is all about audience data and the idea that uh, brands want to, instead of buying a large block of inventory uh, and hoping that their target audience is in that block, they're looking to uh, identify very specific audience members and only target their advertising around those specific audience members. So they're, they're looking to be, be much more targeted and efficient about how they spend their money. And to do that, you need machines. Machines are very, very good at compiling and processing lots and lots of data and making decisions very, very quickly. So in this new environment, rather than booking that media spends months in advance, often they're buying uh, those individual impressions uh, within milliseconds mm. of uh, those impressions appearing on the page. So it sounds like you're heavy into sort of business intelligence and analytics to, to make everything uh, flow in the right direction for, e for each company involved. Well, data is really the underlying currency that powers the ecosystem, right? Mm. It, it used to be, well, you're on ESPN.com, so you have a certain amount of value because there's an assumption about the audience that's on ESPN. Um, but there's all sorts of different people that go to ESPN, and they all have different values to, to different advertisers. Mm. So this is all about big data and being able to, to make some uh, very specific assessments as to what is the relative value of impressions based upon that under underlying currency, which is which is consumer information. Okay. Hey, listen, anything that involves big data and or this types of analytics and, and business intelligence and machine to machine, as you mentioned, I would imagine that that is pretty intensive in terms of the type of expertise you need on board, which leads me to my next question. Are you guys bootstrapping this effort or are you raising some seed money? How are you funding the initiative? Uh, well, luckily enough, I've made some money in prior ventures, so I was able to actually provide the financing for this business to get off the ground. So I'm not sure if you call that bootstrapping. We, we did actually need some cash to, to get the business started. But one of the nice things about media is that uh, these businesses tend to cash flow fairly aggressively and produce revenue very quickly. So, so the business has grown uh, dramatically over the last year. We started the business back in May 
of uh, 2014. And, you know, in this past nine months, we've, uh, you know, the business is profitable and, and growing at a pretty good clip. So, uh, you know, that's not uh, always the, the opportunity. It's tough sometimes for first-time entrepreneurs to have that kind of cash to do it. Sure. But, but my general uh, statement would be that part of what's going on right now, broadly speaking, technology, is the dramatic reduction in cost to start a business. You know, back when I first started companies back in the mid-90s, you know, you literally needed millions or tens of millions of dollars to build software and, and to get it to a condition that you could release it to the marketplace. And yeah, pl- plus you needed all the underlying in- infrastructure on, upon which to write and test the software. It was incredibly expensive, incredibly time-consuming, and it, was, it created a situation in which companies would have to go out and raise millions of dollars to even get to a commercial release of the software before they could even start to market it. Mm. And I think that's really changed. I think what you're seeing now is uh, so much of that infrastructure is in place and so much of the software can be written uh, much more easily. A lot of the individual components you need to to build these systems are already, uh, you know, kind of off the shelf and you can modify them to your requirements. So I'd say the, you know, one of the big things is while this required a little bit of cash and we got the business off the ground, it was, certainly wasn't in the millions of dollars. Mm. And I'd, I'd recommend that any entrepreneur looking to get a business going, uh, the first thing is not to go out and raise cash. Uh, you know, I used to do that when I first started back in the 90s. The first thing was to write a business plan, to spend months, you know, uh, agonizing over every detail of the business plan and what our financial projections were and, and all the rest of it. And my general sense is that's kind of a waste of time. The, the best thing to do nowadays is simply get going. If you've got an idea, yeah. uh, build a team and start working on it and try to get as far as you can before you actually need cash. Yeah, so at least a proof of concept and maybe even a working, uh, working product or service and, and actual revenue before you actually go out and get money. Absolutely. I mean, I think if you're looking at who your competition is when it comes to getting financing, unless you're getting it from your parents or something, it's going to be people who have made that step, right, that that have spent the last six months or a year building something. And oftentimes it's not just, you know, an alpha or beta release. They're in the market and if not generating revenue, at least growing their customer base fairly aggressively. And those are the guys that are going to get cash. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I remember a story someone told me a while ago. It's, you know, there were two guys that came in to pitch uh, this investor on their business concept. And the, the business was, the concept was virtually identical. Um, and they both got rejected um, for a bunch of different reasons. One came back in six months. They had made a lot of progress in polishing out their business plan and had raised a bit of cash, but hadn't really made a lot of progress on the products. The other company had just gone back into hibernation, had built the products, and had released it to the marketplace. Um, and who's the one that got financing, right? It wasn't yeah. the, the company that, that had raised a bit of money and improved their business plan. It was the one that was in the marketplace with the products. Yeah. So I think that's, that's true today more than ever. Yeah, you know, it really is. And it, what's interesting is it's true across all verticals, thanks to the cloud and et cetera. Hey, you know, the other thing I noticed as we were prepping for this podcast is, is – AmpDesk is not your only interest, as I understand. I think you're also involved in AdSource at this point. What's the focus there? So AdSource is a very similar model, but it's focused instead of trading uh, impressions, we trade clicks. So uh, in advertising, there's kind of three major modalities. There's impression-based advertising, which is, again, display, video, 
things that are based upon creating a brand impression with a consumer. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another form which is what I consider cost per action or cost per lead. It's, it's about uh, advertising and generating a specific type of action. Um, you know, someone ordering a product or giving an email address or subscribing to something. That's an action-based campaign. Uh, but what Google and Facebook and uh, you know, some of the largest um, uh, publishing platforms in the market are doing is they sell clicks, mm-hmm. right? They are CPC platforms. So uh, whereas AmpDesk is focused on uh, acting in a, a capacity of trading impressions, AdSource trades in clicks. Right. Okay. So AmpDesk and AdSource, here's a question for you. Are they both uh, are they both mainly for really big media plays like an ESPN.com and and or the uh, the advertisers up there, or might a smaller media house, startup media company, somehow leverage these technologies as well? Well, I, I think there's there's two different uh, types of approaches to the market. One is a self serve platform where you can really go after some of the smaller players. Mm-hmm. The other is a managed service in which we uh, manage media spend for. Uh, mid to large size, size entities. And that's what we're focused on is, is a managed service. Um, we're not looking to provide self-service. So uh, for a company to do business with us, they really have to be spending at least $25,000, if not more than that, in a specific campaign to, to get us to work with them. Um, and, and the way it works is you know, increasingly uh, all of that spend is getting aggregated across uh, agency trading desks, Mm. Uh, who are uh, consolidating tens of millions, hundreds of millions, or billions of dollars of media spend uh, through those platforms. Um, so it's it's right now at least we're less focused on pitching individual brands and more about aggregating demand from these large trading platforms. And uh, again, on, even on the supply side, what is happening increasingly is that all of these different publishers are simply enabling enabling their inventory to be traded programmatically or machine to machine. And we don't actually have to have a direct relationship in many cases with the publishers either. Mm-hmm. So it's really, it's actually starting to resemble much more like a stock market type of situation in but, which you're, you're trading inventory much the same way as you trade stocks. You know, I was going to ask exactly that question. It sounded like you were heading down the, uh, the stock market metaphor or parallel uh, example there. So are you actually helping to, you know, set real time pricing going up and down, et cetera, on, on these ad placements? Yeah, pretty much everything we deal with is is called RTB. It's real time bidding, mm. so it, it is uh, inventory is priced at the moment uh, the person hits the page or opens the app or interacts basically with the media that we're advertising within. So all of this is occurring on a real time basis, literally in milliseconds. Um, you know, I'd say the the big difference really between financial trading and stocks and bonds and and commodities. And advertising is that in those markets, you're supposed to trade with equal information, right? There's right. parity information on each side of the trade. Um, you know, the person selling the, the commodity or the, the equity uh, is trading on the same data that you're trading on. And uh, it doesn't always work that way, but, you know, theoretically you go to jail if you trade on right, that side information, right? right? right. It's, you know, um, this is a very different marketplace than that, um, simply because it's, the polar opposite. Every single buyer and seller in the marketplace is trading on proprietary data. Mm. Uh, you know, Reebok doesn't have to share their customer data with Nike, right? Right, and you see massive uh, delta, basically difference between the minimum uh, bid price on a specific 
piece of inventory and the maximum price. I mean, we literally see sometimes three orders of magnitude and difference. You can have a, a something priced at, at 15 or 20 cents for one advertiser and another advertiser bids $300 for that same impression. So you get these massive discrepancies in how different brands evaluate the inventory and make a decision as to what it's actually worth to them. And that's where it's, it's very different than, than Wall Street. Mm, quite different, to say the least. So we've got AmpDesk and we have AdSource. And we also have uh, quite a lengthy list of startups uh, that you've previously in, uh, been involved with. But before we go down that list and, and sort of take a closer look, I'm wondering how you split your time between AmpDesk and AdSource. I mean, are you, quote unquote, full time with both operations? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think it's one of those things where most of what I do is set strategy and try to work to develop partnerships with other companies. So it's kind of on a high-level biz dev um, uh, kind of situation with with both those entities and really any company I'm, in, I'm involved with. I, I consider myself, um, you know, operationally involved to a certain extent. But one of the things I learned very early on is to is to make sure you have very very solid operators in the business that know how the business operates and can run the business successfully. Um, and my job is really to make sure we're we're charging the right hill, right? right. If, you know, if, you, if you look at getting a business off the ground, a lot of it's about uh, making sure everyone's you know, rowing in the right direction and, and heading in, in the same direction in everything they're doing. And, and that's really my job is to make sure that everyone's uh, focused on the same target. Gotcha. Now, has di digital media and online marketing, have they always been or for most of your career, have they been your focus? Uh, well, at least for the last six or seven years, I've been focused on digital media. Um, you know, my career as an entrepreneur has always been focused on the internet. The, the first business I started back uh, in 95 was focused on building websites and web applications for companies. So, so I've always been focused on the internet as kind of a, a sector. I mean, you know, the internet's morphed into something where you can't really avoid it, right? Whatever right. business you're in, you, you got to be in the internet business. But, you know, back then it was very focused specifically on building websites and internet applications and the like. Um, you know, I was involved for quite a while in, in enterprise software, and um, so I've had a few different careers along the way, but digital media is where my, my base is right now. Gotcha. Okay. Hey, here's a, here's a question off the top of my head, and it, and it has to do with, uh, I think it was a story I saw on the Wall Street Journal earlier today, or maybe it was uh, their online edition. I think they mentioned that uh, YouTube, of all things, still is not profitable. I think they mentioned it was like 3 or $4 billion in revenue and still not profitable. And then meanwhile... <laughs> You do have a lot of uh, media companies out there that are dropping the word media from their name just because they feel like it's a dirty word at this point because everything's getting commoditized. W what good, solid words of hope can you give to entrepreneurs who are still really interested in media uh, and show them that there's still a good living to be made here uh, rather than some sort of big commodity world where uh, everyone's fighting for scraps? Yeah, um, it's it's going to be a challenge, I think, as we go through this transition. I think, mm -hmm. you know, part of the problem, obviously, is um, in identifying models that enable people to make a living doing something. Right. And and I think that uh, historically, when you've had a very limited number of media outlets um, and you had a large audience aggregating around those outlets, they could make a lot of money. Right. Mm -hmm. You go back to the, the days of four networks and those companies were very, very profitable because they had a large captive audience. And as that media landscape has become more diffuse and you've got, uh, while it's a bigger audience, they're much more fragmented, it becomes harder and harder to make a living 
uh, in that business. But but I'd say this: if you look at companies like Vice, um, you know, and some of the other new, you know, BuzzFeed and all these other brands are coming up. Um, now I'm not sure I'm entirely thrilled with BuzzFeed's model in general. Yeah, yeah. But but but, but, but there's something to be said for it. <laughs> but I, I mean, they figured out how to make a living within this marketplace, and I think that's uh, you know I don't want to piss off any BuzzFeed fans. I, I think that's kind of a shorter term trend. Yeah, uh, you know, this kind of link baits. I, I think at some point yeah. in time. Yeah, let me give you five of, reasons why it's a shorter term yeah. trend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I think that's that's going to be tough, and and I yeah. think ultimately. There is a, a business to be made with original content. I think all you got to yeah. do is look at Vice to, to see what that looks like. Yeah. So I think that can be done. I think those companies can be successful, and I think they're valued fairly highly. But I think you've got to build the business from the ground up with an understanding as to how these different channels operate. And you've got to approach it from a cost perspective the same way. Mm. Um, so, so I think there is a future in it. I mean, obviously, that you know, I, I don't think – if you look at the choice of media, the, the, the quantity of media being produced right now has never been higher and it's going to continue to accelerate. And that's before you even have, you know, you can have increasingly number uh, machines basically producing content and the like. So, so the, the quantity of content is going to continue to increase. The cost of production necessarily on a lot of it has to decrease in order to, to remain profitable and it will be much more difficult to make a living. But I think it's certainly not impossible and I think it's a, you know, I think out of these types of chaotic environments, uh, sometimes emerge real winners and new brands that, uh, that become very, very popular. Hey, without a doubt. Some of my favorite brands in IT media, by the way, you know, didn't exist five, six, seven years ago. Um, some of those older brands still uh, still do exist and they've evolved. But I hear you. I, I do think uh, anytime there's chaos in a market, uh, opportunity always emerges. You just have to be uh, really focused like a laser and really look for the opportunities. So, um, totally agree. Yeah, yeah. Hey, scrolling down sort of your uh, your your resume and your track record, you've been involved in multiple startups. Um, without getting into the dollar uh, to dollar details, did any of those startups actually raise money? And and, and what were your experiences there? Um, good experiences, bad experience, any lessons learned? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, when I like I said back in the '90s when I started my first businesses. You know, my focus initially was always on raising cash. It yep. was going out to friends and family and getting a couple hundred grand together to get the idea off the ground and then raising more money and uh, completely rewriting the software and then raising more money <laughs> right. and trying to get to – I mean it, it, it's, it was kind of a – to me a fairly standard process that I uh, repeated over and over again. Um, I think what really changed for me is in the last kind of six or seven years where – I decided instead of focusing all my sales efforts on uh, going out and selling investors to raise money, I should instead focus on just selling clients and, and making money and right. generating revenue. And I think the one uh, lesson out of that is that this is not true for all markets, right? There's certainly, I think, home run ideas uh, that don't have an immediate uh, revenue opportunity. You know, they're all about uh, uh, creating a large audience where this may not be true. But generally speaking, um, cash is king. And uh, if you are unable to produce revenue quickly for a business, um, you've got to be out there raising money. And raising money is a non-trivial exercise. I mean, everyone hears about these companies raising very large sums of money. Um, one, that's very, very rare. 
Um, it's it's more rare than people realize, and it's yeah. enormously difficult to do. Most of those guys raising money is because they've had a successful exit in the past, and those investors are coming back to reinvest in, in a proven uh, quantity. Um, the the average person going out and raising money will find it far more difficult. Whatever the you know people say about how easy it is to raise money right now, they'll yeah. find it enormously difficult to raise that cash. And often, if they have failed to demonstrate uh, a low risk proposition for the investor, the investor is going to take a very very large portion of the company. Right. So so I mean, investors invest based upon a combination of greed and fear. And your job is always to maximize the greed quotient while minimizing their fear. Mm. And the more progress you can make towards achieving the objectives of the business and making commercial uh, gains in the business, the more you're going to minimize their fear and have them have a feeling that you are an operator and know how to run a business and build a business. So, so my overlying um, you know, kind of uh, piece of advice for people is – Get as far as you possibly can, whether it takes eating ramen noodles for a year, whatever you got to do, get as far as possible you can with the business. And I don't mean writing business plans and doing complex financial models and all of that stuff. I mean, I I think you should have a basic understanding of what the business does. But whatever you think you're going to do is not what you'll actually do once you you start building something. And the faster you can get to a point of building something and making progress – People will come to you. The, the easiest way to raise money is when people come to you and say, you're making so much progress. How do I get involved and give you cash? That's the situation you ideally want to be in. If you're going out every day and spending all your time uh, pitching investors, you're not spending that time building the business. And to me, that was the number one realization. It, I switched from doing that to simply focusing on selling clients and within six months, we were profitable and generating enough revenue to, to make a living and to start to invest in things like technology and building products. Um, and we had all the leverage in the world. By the time we wanted to go raise money, it was, frankly, a much easier process, right? Yeah, we could say, yeah. I hey, mean, you had something tangible to show these potential investors. Exactly. And, yeah. and, and, they, and everyone loves revenue, yeah. right? And I, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's great to have, you know, there's definitely consumer applications where you can have a very large user base and, uh, you know, you're, no, you're going to monetize that at some point in time in the future. And that's great. If you can explode a user base, fantastic. But nothing speaks quite so loudly as revenue and profit. Right. Uh, it makes all the difference in the world in terms of your leverage. And rather than giving up ultimately 70 or 80 percent of your company to outside investors to achieve your goal, um, if you're producing revenue and profits, sometimes you can get by with only giving up 20 or 30% ultimately. It's just a, a radically different uh, uh, kind of leverage position. Yeah. You know, great advice, by the way. And, you know, I also think you're, you're uh, providing uh, an important point, especially in light of the fact that I think a lot of millennials out there, I, I shouldn't uh, generalize quite so broadly, but, but I've been reading some coverage lately and, and watching some coverage talking about how People are talking about building billion-dollar companies when they haven't even built $1 million companies yet. And, uh, you know, the Wall Street Journal keeps track of these billion-dollar privately held companies that are heavily financed, obviously. And, and, and it's almost like um, 
it, it gives you a warped sense of what reality is there. You know, there, there's even with all those out there, I think there's only, I forget, 70 or 80 of them. I forget the exact number. Meanwhile, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of startups that are looking for their to raise their first dollar. Um, and, and I think the market almost needs a reset or a reality check and uh, a healthy one at that. Um, and and uh, your thoughts certainly uh, help to do that, I believe. Yeah, I mean, I, I, listen, I think there's a reason why they're called unicorns, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're very, very rare things. Um, they're very difficult to, to accomplish. And what you'll find is with an enormous number of those entities, those are not the first time an entrepreneur has taken a run at it, right? They've, right? they've built a big business before. They've raised lots of money before. They know how the game works. And they've, um, you know, they're building upon a litany of mistakes they've made in earlier careers. Uh, and I think that's that's what people sometimes forget. And, and I'd say also just now sometimes sitting as an investor in some of these businesses, you know, whenever you hear an, uh, you know, a, an entrepreneur talk about this is a trillion-dollar idea or a hundred-billion-dollar idea, you just sound naive, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's one thing to believe that, which is great. Um, but it's really tough to say that with a straight face until you've actually done it or at least come close in the past. Yeah. Um, and, and I you know, I think part of it is – um, I think what investors look for is not just a sense of ambition um, and a sense of drive, but also a bit of humility in the process. You've yeah. got to be someone that they can work with and that's going to make rational decisions and not simply always swing the bat as hard as they can and try to get a home run. Yeah, and make some contact for us, right? Get great points, Alex. Hey, tell me a little bit more about uh, – you know, final question here. A little bit more about 2015. What are some of your key priorities either – you know? On, on the personal front uh, as you build out your own career, or maybe it's uh, more on the corporate front with AmpDesk and AdSource? Sure. So, so both those companies um, were 100% focused on uh, scaling the profits in those businesses and making them larger. Um, it, both of these media trading entities, the, the difficult thing is there's kind of an underlying set of infrastructure that you need to put in place that is uh, is relatively expensive. So there's kind of like a certain amount of fixed overhead. Um, but once you get past that, it's very, very easy to, to scale those businesses uh, without adding a lot of additional infrastructure to, to do so. So a lot of this is about how do we start to really cash flow the business um, and get a position, because it's a very different thing between being profitable and cash flow positive, right? Profits are on paper, you're producing profits each month. But in the case of media, you're typically holding on to the inventory. You're basically floating cash. Mm. And the difference between cash flow positive and profits are, are different. But, but needless to say, the goal is with both those organizations is to get to a position of cash flow profitability and a positive cash flow during the course of the year. And frankly, it's, you know, my goal is becoming more about uh, being involved with a portfolio of different companies rather than just uh, building one specific business um, it's more about building teams around specific concepts and helping those businesses get off the ground and scale themselves. So my goal is to actually get uh, one or two additional things started this year and, and see if I can help them uh, uh, grow up. Well, fantastic. When you start those one or two more things, we'll be watching and we'll be sure to reach out to you. Alex, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Joe, is great. Thanks a lot. To appear in a podcast and discuss your business strategy, contact Amy Katz for sponsorship information. That's Amy at AfterNines.com. Remember to visit AfterNines.com daily to read our latest blogs or to subscribe to our newsletter. And remember to join us every Tuesday night at 9.01 p.m. Eastern for Good Evening IT Entrepreneurs.
I'm Joe Panettieri, signing off for After9s.com.